Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Before we get into 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to make a quick note on the triumphant entry. We sang the words Hosanna just a minute ago, and the word Hosanna is a plea. It's a cry that God would save, that God would deliver. And we find out in the scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, the Savior and Deliverer, but we also find out that Jesus is the King. He is the King who's arrived in the line of David. He's the King who has ascended and is now seated on his throne. We read about this in Matthew chapter 21, and I, I want to learn from those at the beginning of Holy Week, the beginning of the week in Jerusalem, who are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, who are laying down palm branches and recognizing the kingship of Christ. We want to learn from them and not learn from that same crew that crucified him just seven days later, from Hosanna to crucify him in just a week span. And uh, we want to recognize that he is our deliverer, our savior, and that he is our king. He is both of those, and he's so many more things, an infinite amount more, more things, but he's not less than that. He is both Savior and King. In Matthew chapter 21, we read this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth, Bethpage, Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied a colt, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. Then, or this then took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. The disciples then went and did as Jesus directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them put their put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, Luke chapter 19, and John chapter 12 all tell of this story of Jesus being the deliverer and Jesus being the king. The king has arrived, and now he has ascended into heaven. He's seated on his throne. Ascended Lord, ascended Savior, ascended deliverer, now sitting on his throne, and now he is reigning and ruling until his enemies are under his feet. You see, his kingdom has arrived. It is being ushered in and it will one day be consummated and fully present on this earth. His kingdom is here. It's established. It is being established as the forces of darkness continue to be pushed forward. And these images come from Jesus saying that his church will move forward and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus is building his church and there's a whole bunch of stuff behind the gates of hell on retreat. And Jesus is continuing to advance and put forward his church as the as the rulers of darkness are behind the gates of hell moving backwards. And so we're excited to see his kingdom continuing to be established. And then one day, all of the enemies of Christ will be under his feet. And then he will come back and even defeat death itself. And it's a neat thing to think about. Jesus as both deliverer, savior, and king. So Jesus has all authority in heaven and all authority on earth. It's pretty cool that the limits, that there are no limits to the authority of Christ. He says in Matthew 28 that 
He's been given all authority in both places, the heavenly realms and the earthly realms. So Jesus has all of that authority right here, right now, and our king is sitting on his throne. That's something to bring comfort to weary souls, for sure. All right. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. We're actually going to read down through verse 8 today, or verse 7 today. This is the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure content, conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are the heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I love God's word. We should all love God's word. Now, God's going to tell us about marriage. It's like we're all together over this week, and then next week we'll do a sermon on the resurrection, and then the week after that we'll be back talking about husbands. But it's like we're at a two-week course or seminar on marriage, and God's just going to tell us, here's how marriage works. And wives, if you'll do what God has prescribed for you to do, if you will think the way God has called you to think, and men, if you will do what God has called you to do as husbands and think the way God has called you to think as husbands, marriage goes really well. It just, it just goes really well. When we disobey God, however, or one disobeys God, the other tries to obey, the other's trying to obey, and the other disobeys, things do not go well. And so we come over the next couple of weeks as we look at this passage, and we come as servants of the Lord wanting to obey what God has to say. God is the authority, after all. We know this. We know that we're justified. We know that we're children of the Most High God. Therefore, we come to our Father and we say, God, tell us how the world works. Tell us how marriage works. Marriage is decaying all around us, and even Christian marriages struggle at times. Can I get an amen out there from Christian married couples? It's not that Christian marriages are flawless or perfect or don't have any issues at all, but Christian couples are going to the Lord to learn how marriage works. And then we don't, we, we don't stubbornly stomp our feet when he tells us how, how it works as if we can come up with a better way for it to work. We just simply say, okay, cool, that's what we're going to do. We're going to obey the Lord. So if we're disobeying in any way, then we want to repent of that and obey the Lord because marriage problems are ultimately sin problems. And the answer to sin problems is always repentance. Marriage problems are always sin problems. It's never not a sin problem. So the way forward in a dysfunctioning marriage or a, a marriage that's just full of sin is to repent and obey and do what God has called you to do. Ask for help from the Lord to help you to obey what we hear prescribed to wives and what we hear prescribed to husbands. Wives, now it's important today that you hear what God has to say to you, and we're not going to caveat over and over again when we say the words like submit and pause and say yes, and that means that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We're going to get to the men next week, but we don't want to miss the glory of what God says to you by thinking about what God says to men. And isn't that the way it is when it comes to marriage and marriage counseling? Anytime God is saying something to the wife, the husband's like, honey, listen up. And then anytime God is saying something to the husband, the wife's like, honey, listen up. 
And the challenge before us, my friend Dustin mentioned this years ago, the challenge before both husbands and wives when it comes to marriage is hearing what God says to you and then obeying without making excuses. Well, I would do this if my wife, or I would do this if my husband, or this would be so much easier if, fill in the blank, they would do their part and they would do their part. The responsibility that's laid upon each of us that are married is to hear what God has to say and say, cool, that's my marching orders, I'm going to go and I'm going to obey. That's what I'm going to do. And it's good. When both the wife and the husband obey, things go really well. So ladies, for far too long, you have been robbed and stripped of dignity and you have been treated as if you were a child with kid, kid gloves. Feminism does this. Pastors who refuse to talk about this kind of thing do this because we act like women are too weak and feeble to hear what God has to say to them. And so we come to passages like this about submission, obey, calling Abraham Lord, and we think, oh my goodness, we got to tell, tell them what this doesn't mean first, and we got to figure out you know, how to make this and soften the blow and blunt, blunt the edge, and we fail to say, this is really good. It's, it's glorious. We don't have to apologize for God. Uh, he made marriage and defined marriage and designed marriage, and he knows how it works. And so we, we got to take kid gloves off and recognize that you are strong enough to hear what God has to say to you. Guys, I've talked to you about this before. Ladies, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. Just don't be offended by what God has to say. The worst thing you can do today is hear what God says to you as a wife. And single ladies in here, hear what God says to you if you're going to be a wife one day, and most likely you will. The worst thing you can possibly do is be like Eve and listen to the devil. Or listen to feminists, or listen to waves of popular opinion, the media, for college girls here, uh, for spending time in school and SIU. Everything that I say here today is going to be mocked and ridiculed, and you just have to know that this is what God has to say. And you don't want to be on the side of mocking and ridiculing God. You just really don't. And so we want to hear what God has to say, and it's really good. Ladies, this is really good for you. It's really good for you. So we're going to dive in. Verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. Now, there is authority and order in government and in the household. We've been seeing this, and this is a likewise again here. And next week we're going to see, or two weeks from now, another likewise. There's order and structure in how God has designed everything to work. And there is authority and order in marriage. There is authority and order in marriage. This is that hierarchy thing that the world hates and rages against. That the professors at SIU in positions of authority want to tell you is wrong as they sit in their positions of authority. Here, we're told clearly that wives are to be subject to their husbands. There is an authority here where there's a leader and there is a follower. There is one with greater responsibility and lesser responsibility when it comes to the household or differing responsibilities if we don't want to say lesser or greater responsibilities. Now, it does need to be stated, this is pointed out in our small group, that it's just really clear that ladies are not called or wives are not called to be subject to men in general or to other people's husbands. Now, certainly they are to be subject to the elders of the church, but the elders of the church are not an authority over households in the way that the husband is the head of a household. I am the head of no one household except the Sparks household. And so you're to be subjected to your own husband. This is about household order based on the natures of men and women. Men and women have been designed to function in a different way. People have described tools before. If you try to use a screwdriver as a hammer or a hammer as a screwdriver, you can't do it. And in a home, when the lady, the wife, is the functional leader and the husband is the functional leader, there's going to be dysfunction everywhere because the wife was not built for that kind of leadership and the husband was not built to follow in that manner. So this is about household order. 
And, abs- and, and, and actually, it's also about household aptitudes. Men and women are built to do different things. Now, there has been a long game here, 150 years at least. And actually, we could all go all the way back 6,000, 7,000 years, give or take a few, uh, to the Garden of Eden and say that there has been millennia-long assault on passages like this from the feminists, from progressive, from Marxists, from the media, and basically everything and everyone else. And so because of that, there's secular clutter that's in front of passages like this because we come to this and and we can know that we've been catechized or trained by the world because when we come to a passage like that and if it feels odd, it feels odd to us because we've been trained by out there about what normal is. And then when we come in here and it's like, okay, what is this strange thing coming to our ears? It's because they've got it all wrong out there. They, the world, has it all wrong out there. And this is right. This is how marriage works. So we got to get some secular clutter out of the way. And we do need to make a few, even though we're not going to caveat away everything, we're going to make a few things up front that are going to be helpful by way of comments. Uh, There are limits to the husband's authority. Wives, be subject to your husbands. There's no if, and, or buts about it. Just like with children obeying parents, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. However, we do know that there's a higher authority than parents and a higher authority than the husband and a higher authority than any state elected or appointed official. And that authority is God. God's law limits the husband's authority and delegates that authority and then puts parameters around it. And God has limited a husband's authority by requiring those husbands to love as Christ loved the church. The husband is not free to abuse that authority that God has given him. Um, but we're going to be talking more to the husbands here in a couple weeks. Because again, that, that, that's it. That's the caveats right there. That husbands are to lead the way that God has called them to lead and serve the way that God has called them to serve. And exercise authority the way God has called them to exercise authority. So we got to find out then what submission does mean. There's limits to that authority. So here, here's the deal. The wife follows the leadership of her husband. It's as simple as that. The wife follows the leadership of the husband. She does not lead the family. He leads, she follows. That's how submission and authority works. When it comes to the family, the man is called to do the research, to make the plans, to set the investment visions, to lead the family worship, to set the direction, protect the family, provide for the family, to make the call. That's what the the man is called to do. And the wife is called to follow in that. Now, we've all seen the opposite of this, right? Sometimes thinking about the true thing can be helpful by thinking about the false thing as well. We've, We've seen the negative of this. And so if we think about the negative of this, it helps us to understand the positive of the thing. A wife, we've all seen a wife who wears the pants in the family, right? If we use that, that terminology. We've all seen a wife who really is the one really in charge, Right? Okay, all of us, we can just be honest with one another. We've seen that. Um, We've all seen the wife who does the research, makes the plans, set the family vision, makes the investment, sets the direction, leads the family worship, provides for the family, and makes the call. And the man just is present. And we're going to correct that kind of behavior from the bad men in two weeks. Bad men joyfully follow the leadership of their bad wives. That's what bad men do. They joyfully call it progressive, call it in line with modern feminism. Whatever they want to do, bad men joyfully follow the leadership of their bad wives. We've seen the opposite. We've all seen it. A wife who wears the pants is kind of like a woman who's cast off her feminine beauty 
in favor of being like a man or being butch, because that's what it is when a woman is acting like a man and putting on makeup. It's not, it's not a flattering thing. And yet it's all too common in our society today. We've all seen the, the kind of woman we're going to address here in a little bit who's pretty on the outside and so ugly on the inside. And it's not a win. The wife is called to submit to the leadership of her husband and not set herself in opposition to her husband as some sort of secret authority in the home pulling the strings and levers. There's many passive-aggressive women who want to make their husband think he's leading. And we have to keep this in mind because it's a command to you wives that submission to your husband is ultimately obedience to God. It's obedience to God. That's what the wife is called to do. She is called to submit to the leadership of her husband. Uh, lacking submission to your husband is ultimately in re it's rebellion to God. A wife who refuses to submit to her husband is disobedient to God. You're not submitting to God because that's what God's called you to do. And ladies, you can handle such a glorious thing as this. Submission, we find out, we find out what submission really is for and what it does. Like, what, what does submission accomplish? Because is this kind of some, some kind of weird submission game here where men and the, the whole patriarchy thing that people talk about is absolutely true and we want wives to be owned by their husbands and that kind of stuff and all that kind of crazy nonsense that's out there. We say, absolutely not. The scriptures never speak of the husband owning his wife or owning their children at all. However, um, Jesus owns us. He, he owns the household. He owns you if you are Christians in the home. And Jesus is the one that was submissive to his heavenly father. Now, I've mentioned it in passing here, but there is a Trinitarian debate about uh, Jesus and his role as the submissive one in the Trinity. If that's an eternal thing or if that's a temporal thing, functionally, as the incarnation demonstrates, and the de incarnation through his ascension demonstrates, where Jesus is, is submissive to his heavenly Father. And, and clearly, what everybody agrees on, I, I think it was a couple weeks that I mentioned this, is that Jesus was, was submissive to his heavenly Father when he was on earth. He, he obeyed his heavenly Father. And what's important for us to understand is the power of submission. We see this in the second part of verse, thir uh, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. You see, submission isn't this thing that just uh, is intended to let the husband do whatever he wants to do and get away with whatever he wants to get away with. If, if Jesus did this and submitted. And in his submission, we find that his submission actually is powerful enough to change people. His submission to his heavenly father is the reason that we're here today as Christians. That if he didn't submit, we're not changed. He submitted his heavenly father, obeying perfectly, even shows the glory of, of silence. There are times that God calls women to be silent. And that's a good thing. And God the Father called Jesus to be silent at times. And Jesus didn't see that as offensive in any way. He's like, okay, oh, Heavenly Father, that's what you want me to do. That's what I'll do it. And what we find is that submissive work of Christ brings life and change, new birth to us, um, sustaining life for all of our life, steady, and finally fully sanct a sanctified person from an enemy of God to a person that's like Christ. I mean, this is a glorious thing that Jesus does in his submission. Likewise, Ladies, you are to follow that Christ-like, submissive example 
Even as Jesus knew the glory of obeying his father's voice, you are to know the glory of obeying your father's voice. And uh, here's the deal. It produces change. This is what God uses to change men, to change disobedient husbands. Uh, there's two categories of people here when you're thinking through this, okay? One by, uh, that may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. We can think of two categories of guy here. Uh, either a Christian who's walking in, in unrepentant sin, okay, that kind of Christian husband, who's a Christian, but he's walking in unrepentant sin. And this kind of submission, her, her respectful and pure conduct, we'll see here in a minute, God uses that respectful and pure conduct to bring change in the life of that man, now, isn't it a thing that you've heard all the time about wives or women wanting to change men? You know, like there's, there's, it's, like a, it's like a caricature in society that like you've got to bring in the reins and you've got to train your man kind of thing, all right? Um, when women don't follow God's prescription, it ends up being this weird and twisted thing. If you want to see change in your husband, don't try to be the Holy Spirit, respect him and be pure in your conduct and honor the Lord in your submission to him and trust that God will do what you cannot do. And there are many men, many Christian men that are not walking in obedience in really big areas of their life. And strong women learn how to obey the Lord and submit to men like that, and they watch God work over time. And bad men don't repent, but we're going to call Christian men to recognize the holy and pure conduct of your wives and repent. Be the lead repenter. Don't, don't have to take your cues from your wife's obedience. Lead the way in, obedient, in obedience to the Lord. And so there's powerful submission here. Now, so there's some husbands in the church that were not obeying God's word, and then there would be some women who were Christians, but their husbands were not. And so one of the ways that God is reaching these disobedient Christian men or these non-Christian men is through this glorious submission of their wife. God uses the conduct of godly women to change men, to change husbands. Um, respectful and pure conduct go a long way. Here's what it says. It says specifically, uh, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. What kind of conduct? When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Um, Respect is a very important thing. Um, wives are to respect their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5. Um, ladies, do you speak respectfully to your husbands? If your husband spoke to you how you speak to him, would that be respectful or dishonoring? Um. Respect is this thing that's difficult, just like uh, loving your wife as Christ loved the church. The, the easy drawback, the impulse inside is uh, you want to respect a man clearly who's respectable. But what if your husband's not acting respectable? Well, your call here is still to respect him. Now, to be a helper, to be a helpmate doesn't mean you cover his sin. Sometimes that means you expose his sin. Sometimes that means you bring his sin to the elders or to the authorities, depending upon how gross and harmful it is. But you are called to respect him. And in your respect of him, in your pure conduct toward him, God is using you to bring change in that man's life. Your submission is certainly powerful. You cannot lead your husband into leadership. Let me say that again. Um, there are a lot of wives who, in wanting their husbands to lead, in wanting their husbands to obey, 
a wife will pull the strings trying to lead her husband into leadership in the home because that's her desire. She wants her husband to lead. So what she'll try to do is, okay, I'm going to subtly try to lead him into leadership. And you cannot do that. You simply can't do that. You have to respect him and keep your conduct pure in the home and then watch God work. Pray and plead with God. Pray for your husband more than you criticize your husband. It's a glorious call to be a wife. Is there anything else for Christian wives? Remember, this is like God's seminar here, okay? If you want to see change, respect and keep your conduct pure and submit to him. Follow his leadership and pray. God, help him lead as you would have him lead. Help me to follow as you would, help me, as you would have me follow. This is what God has called you to do. Now, there are some other things here. Because in doing this and in talking about this, we have to get to matters of the heart, all right? Um, if you just kind of stomp your feet and say, fine, I'll submit and follow him, okay, like that, um, we're, missing the, we're missing this. I'm not saying that ladies have attitudes like that sometimes or anything. Um, but uh, we got to get to issues of the heart because to follow externally but to in- internally despise your husband or get bitter, I mean, it's entirely possible to do the right thing externally for all the wrong reasons. That's the same, same, same thing with external apparel here. We'll, we'll look at here in a minute. Um, so we've we got to get to issues of the heart. What's going on in the heart? Your heart, wives, future wives. So let's look at verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. Now we're getting to the issues of the heart, internal and external. There is a clear command here. Do not let your adorning or your beauty, how you beautify yourself, do not let it be external. And then what we get is a few examples about what Peter's talking about here. And these are cultural expressions of this. Certainly you could include things that are not in this, things like makeup or bathing suits for that matter, or fill in the blank, several other things. So the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. So the the external beautification of the female body. How you conduct yourself externally. And Peter clearly says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, don't let your adorning be external. Don't let your beauty be external. And these examples are here in common examples of how women continue to beautify themselves down through the history of the world. Like I said, it's not an exhaustive list. Um, And it doesn't mean that you try to make yourself disheveled and ugly. And thinking about what does it mean to not let your adorning be external, your beauty being external. So that means, okay, we're talking about internal beauty. Does that mean that you just wake up, you never do your hair, and you have rat's nests everywhere, and you just look ugly? And, and some, you know, girls look cute in sweatpants too, but uh, I get that. But never wear anything but sweatpants and a baggy t-shirt. Is that what that means? Is that following an obedient command here? Again, we got to get to the heart of what's going on here. It doesn't mean that you're to make yourself look ugly because there's principles in Scripture over and over again, Luke and Matthew that we'll look at a little bit, talking about uh, what's in the heart comes out. The inside of the cup has external demonstrations of what's going on inside. We'll talk about that in a minute. So what does it mean to the positive then? If we're not to let your adorning be external, the way you do your hair, the, the jewelry that you put on, and the clothes that you put on, don't let your adorning be that. Okay, okay, what does it mean? Proper adornment. Verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Adornment or beauty on the inside. We've all, I've already mentioned it. Pretty on the outside, ugly on the inside. You know, like a thousand women like that, right? Or they're just um, mean and crazy. How many of the really pretty ones are just nuts? We'll take some jabs at men, don't worry. <laughs> a part of a healthy understanding of God's word to men and women is the ability to joke back and forth with each other, not in a derogatory way, but to understand that we're different. Men and women are different, newsflash. We used to say, uh, there's a book title, and people understood this generally, that men are from Venus, women are from Mars, or women are, men are from Mars, men, women are from Venus, this kind of thing, because we think we function differently. I mean, this is seen from the very early stages of life. Um, this uh, proper adornment is so crucial because the opposite of that, to get to the improper adornment, is the kind of woman that Proverbs regularly warns us about. And this actually gets to the heart, this internal adornment versus uh, external adornment. It gets to the heart of what's represented in girls from a very early age. This hits sin propensities of women. There are propensities in women to beautify themselves first and primarily externally. From a very early age, little girls are asking the question to their dad, am I pretty? Not every little girl, I get that. There's some little girls wanting to throw rocks and jump in the mud, but generally speaking, even from the very early stages, boys, I, this is represented right now, in our home, we do wrestling and fighting. It's a very good thing. Rough out isn't good. There needs to be blood every once in a while from from just wrestling and fighting. It's just a good and holy thing. And uh, we're wrestling and fighting. And my boys, the other day, they try to tackle me. They try to get me down. And Valor will come. And he just, as he was running, gritted his teeth and threw a haymaker at me and just punched me right in the face. And, uh, and this is love, right? That's my son telling me loudly, demonstrating to me, Dad, I love you. Providence is figuring out what's going on here, but she's looking at at what's going on the scene and she gets in line and waits in line to take her turn tackling me and she runs up and just falls into me and lays her head on me and hugs me and I say daddy loves providence and we just hold each other she doesn't grit her teeth and try to punch me she there's there's differences there already and she's only 15 months old there's already differences um However, when we see commands like this, gender-specific commands, when the command in two weeks comes to the husbands, live your wives in an understanding way, the reason that command is given there is because there's sin propensities in men to not live with their wife in an understanding, in understanding way. Jordan and I talk about this. There's times, we mentioned this in our small group, where I think she should think exactly like me, and I don't understand when she doesn't. Okay? So... I have to live understanding. Is Terry making funny faces out there? <laughs> Terry, that's a distraction, brother. <clears throat> but as, as men, we have to understand that we're married to a woman, and a woman has to understand that she's married to a man, okay? There's differences here. But these are sin propensities, this external adornment, demonstrated by very early girl, young girls coming and asking, am I pretty? There is a sin propensity in you women to adorn yourself externally first. Am I pretty? Wanting attention, wanting eyes. 
Women have this sin proclivity in this direction. They want to be looked at. Now here's how this this works. This, This is sin and human depravity and still indwelling sin. Women want to be looked at. Men want to look. So there's sin propensities for a wife or a woman to dress for the eyes of other men. And there's a sin propensity of men to look beyond their wife. And both of those are sin propensities that have to be killed. That's a dragon. That's a sin that has to be slayed. And ladies, you've got to recognize this, that there is going to be a temptation for you to value and run after external beauty more than internal beauty. So here's a, just a test. When you hear beauty, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And this is something for you to pray about, to you to talk to the Lord about. And I think the challenge for you is to train your mind when you think beauty. Don't let the world define it. Don't let the world define the word. When you think about the word beauty, think about what's going on in here. That will come out. What's going on in here will come out. Okay, that, that, the external stuff will take care of itself if you get this going. But the last thing you want is to be pretty out here and rotten on the inside. You'll be miserable. But you'll get a, the attention of some men. So the passage is telling us that the hidden person of the heart is the primary beauty that women should be after, that wives should be after. Internal adornment. Now, the internal adornment is specifically listed. A gentle and quiet spirit. Now, what does that mean? Does that have to do with decibel level? Like if you're a a loud woman, like decibel level, that you can't be a quiet spirit? Um, It has nothing to do with decibel level. Here's what it has to do with. Do you obey the Lord or do you argue with him all the time? If you want to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit, don't talk back to God when he says things to you like, submit to your husband. Or, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Or, the Great Commission, make disciples. Or train younger women. When God's speaking to you, don't just, like Eve, don't believe the lies of the devil. If you want to cultivate a quiet and gentle spirit that is precious to the Lord, hear his words to you and put a smile on your face from the inside out and say, yes, Lord, make me that kind of woman. Make me that kind of woman. That's what God is calling you to do. That is a glorious thing. Um, external adornment is not precious to God. It's just not. God is not impressed by a beautiful woman. Um, Internal adornment is where it's at. Um, The Holy Spirit will do this in you. Um, As you're wanting to obey Him and cultivate this gentle and quiet spirit, the Holy Spirit will work that, and even the desire to do it is given by the Holy Spirit. And by God's grace, through the Spirit, you can seek obedience and walk in obedience as God gives you the strength to follow Him. Wives, women, when you obey the Lord, your heart becomes quieter and gentler and less loud and harsh. 
A loud and harsh woman to the Lord will be a loud and harsh woman to her husband and to her children. It just it's, it, it comes out. A loud and harsh driver behind the wheel. Um, cultivate a quiet spirit. Guys, this is a glorious thing. Ladies, we need women in this world like this right now. We have a lot of women that are in absolute rebellion to God. And sadly, many women in the church, honestly, if I preach this sermon to any other church but ours that I know of, I'm sure there's a lot of others as well. But there's a lot of ladies, Christian ladies, that would hear this and mock it like Eve. And they would be mocking the living God, the one they say they serve and love. And ladies, do not be like that. Um, a side note here, internal adornment demonstrates itself externally. We see this as a principle, Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, Matthew 20, 23, 25, and 26, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, and then the outside may also be clean. Um, ladies, as you dress, as you put clothes on, put makeup on, fix your hair, the world is not your standard of beauty. You're going to adorn your, you're, you're going to like fix yourself up externally. I mean, you, you're going to be putting on clothes, right? Uh, so you can put makeup on, you can fix your hair in a way that demonstrates to everybody, look at me. Or you can do that same thing in a way that just humbly wants to honor the Lord and cares first and foremost about your husband. You want to be pretty for your husband as your husband wants to be handsome to his wife. I don't want Jordan thinking I'm, you know, ugly. <laughs> That's why I don't have a mustache and beard all the time. Beard. Uh, if you adorn the inside, you will be beautiful externally. And uh, there's a beauty of Christian women that's, it, it just radiates. And Christian women who want to honor the Lord and are humble and quiet and uh, quiet of spirit. And sometimes they're even loud vocally, but you recognize that is a real woman. It's a real woman. She's beautiful. And uh, that's the kind of women that we want. And so you're going to know this. When you do your hair and makeup and put your clothes on and jewelry on, who's that for? Is it for the eyes of other men or your girlfriends or whoever? Or so you know. Pray about it. Um. This is how Sarah lived. This, this heart, she wanted internal adornment, not external adornment. And we see this in verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their, to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. This is how the holy women, Sarah is the example given, this is how she demonstrated the internal adornment by submitting to their husbands. This is like the first and most basic step of internal adornment is submission to a husband. Um, here's the deal. There is no such thing as a holy woman who refuses to submit to her husband. That's not a holy woman. A woman who wants to lead the home is not a holy woman. She could be justified 
with no condemnation, but she is not obeying the Lord. And that is not a kind of woman that you want to be like. Sarah is the example given. Sarah is not a perfect woman. In fact, we're going to see here in a minute with this word fear. It's interesting, Genesis 12 to 23, Sarah messes up a lot. She even says like, hey honey, Hagar, that's how God's going to make the promise come to fruition is, uh, is through Hagar. And then she gets so angry with Hagar. Uh, she does a lot of things wrong. Um, there's no such thing as a holy woman. We use and demonstrate language that we all understand um, that's leading. There's no, holy, there's no such thing as a holy woman who wears the pants in the family. It just doesn't go together. She can say, well, my husband won't lead or he's not doing what he's supposed to do before the Lord. doesn't matter how holy women are to live is this first step of submitting to their husband. They follow their husbands. They don't lead their husbands. Now, because of the air we breathe, because of feminism that's pervasive in society and in the church, uh, this could be somewhat frightening. I mean, it it says in uh, verse 6, as we get into Sarah, the example, that she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Certainly, it's a different kind of obedience from a child to a parent. However, it is obedience. It is authority and submission that she was called to obey her husband, recognizing that he is the authority. So when Abraham's called in Genesis 12, he didn't have to go ask for permission from Sarah. Sarai, can we go and follow this link? Can we go follow the Lord? He's called us out. He says, yes, Lord, I will follow. I'm going to go out not knowing where I'm going, and my wife and whole household and everybody with me is coming. And this is something Sarah didn't, she wasn't afraid of. She, she got a lot of other things wrong, but in this particular area, she was exemplary for all wives throughout the history of the world. She was not scared to call him Lord and recognize his authority in the home. She wasn't afraid to submit to Abraham. It's the one area that we see that is a shining example of Sarah to say, be like Sarah. Like th- This is an example to follow. And the things that we do see, like I said, are unflattering. We see her sin. We see her failures. We see her imperfections. But here in this area, we say, be like Sarah. Be like Sarah. Um, She wasn't frightened of God's commands to her. She wasn't frightened to recognize his authority in the home. Um, What a woman. Like, what a woman that has... The bold, Christ-like audacity to hear God speak and say, yes, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do that with joy. Um, I'm not going to, at every corner, let my husband know all I'm doing to submit to him. I'm just going to humbly and quietly obey the Lord and submit to him. Sarah was not scared of authority in the home. Uh, And here's here's the deal, Christian women. uh, All of you, if you're in Christ, you're daughters of Sarah, whether you like it or not. And uh, it's about time that Christian women throughout this country and around this world stop believing the devil and feminism and start believing God. Verse 7. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and and do not fear anything that is frightening. You are her children. That means children of Abraham. That means ultimately children of God. And then we hear this word, these words, if you do good and fear nothing. 
Now, here's how God's law works. This is not a, uh, this is not a, a justification statement. Like, here's um, how you can be in Christ is if you do good and fear nothing. It's frightening. Every single woman in here deals with sin and is afraid. But here's how the law of God works. You hear the standard, and you just think in steps one, two, and three when it comes to commands like this. In Genesis 12 through 23, um, Sarah was, it literally is, it states that she was afraid. When she heard God say, yes, you were laughing, it says that she, the reason she lied to God about it is because she was afraid of God. The literal words were, she, she was afraid. Now, she didn't fear anything that was frightening. God, she feared, but she didn't fear anything that was frightening, but it literally says that she was afraid. So, even though she was afraid at times, and even though she didn't do a lot of good. If you just read the story at face value, you see that even Sarah falls short of the standard. She sins, and she fears. And yet, if you don't sin, if you do good, and if you don't fear anything, you can be a daughter like Sarah. So how, how do we reconcile this? It's just kind of a weird way, way to put it, but we understand the law of God. Think in these steps. We've gone through this many times, but it's important for us to review. Here's how this works. Ladies, your sin, even the sin of not wanting to submit to God by submitting to your husband, and your fear are sins for which Jesus had to die. He was the perfect submitter to his heavenly Father. And he actively did that in your place. You can be counted as a perfect submitter to God and your husband because of what Christ did for you. These are sins for which Christ had to die. And if you're in Christ Jesus then, there is no condemnation even when you struggle to do good and fear nothing that's frightening. So here's how this works. When you come to a passage like this and you think, oh my goodness, I often struggle to do good. Is there any ladies in here that you'll just out yourself and say, I struggle to do the right thing sometimes? It can be hard. Um, any ladies in here that struggle with fear? That's another sin propensity of ladies, by the way. Men, men have other sin propensities, aggression or passivity, less struggle with fear. Ladies fear this safety and security. Ladies struggle with this area of fear. And so you hear this, and you're like, well, that's a bummer. I must not be a daughter of Sarah or a daughter of Abraham, therefore a daughter of God. But when you understand what Christ has done for you, you are now free from the condemnation that the law brings. You're not under this condemnation like you were before you were a Christian. So you hear this, do good and fear nothing that's frightening, and you have no condemnation because you know that Jesus died for all your sins. But here's your call here today. Now you're recognizing that this is the kind of woman that you're becoming, that this is what you want to aim for, you want to shoot for. I, you want to be the kind of woman who does good and fears nothing that's frightening. So you walk away from a passage like this and you think, okay, God, what are the areas I'm walking in sin? I want to instead, because there's no condemnation for me, I want to humbly repent and I just want to, I want to obey. I want to start to become a quiet and pure woman who walks in obedience to her heavenly father. And so you become slowly, more and more, over time, the kind of women who do the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing and who fear nothing that's frightening. Gosh, uh, there are women like that of old uh, and women like that today who are women that are just not afraid. They're not afraid because they fear God more than men. 
They fear God enough to even submit in the home. They fear God enough to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And this is what God is doing in you. You're in the process of becoming like this. So here's the deal, ladies. Reject sin. And like I said, we're getting to the guys. Hang in there. Reject sin and reject fear and obey and don't be afraid. Repent of any of these sins that we work through and trust your heavenly Father instead. Do not let your adorning be external. Let it be internal. Recognize authority in the home. Follow the leadership of your husband. And in so doing, obey the God of the universe. Let's pray.